Are you looking for a junior gold company that will give you upside exposure to major gold discovery potential, cash flow, and is located in a secure jurisdiction? Goldrich offers you a unique opportunity and controls almost the entire historic Chandelar Mining District, located in the prolific Ambler Schist Belt in Alaska. The company is applying modern-day techniques to explore the district that previously hosted four hard rock gold mines and various placer operations. Visit Goldrich on the web at www.goldrichmining.com or look us up under the ticker symbol GRMC. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome back to the second hour of Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I want to thank our sponsors for the second hour for making this show economically viable. Uh, for the second hour uh, today, our sponsors are Arroway Energy, Clifton Star Resources, Gold Rich Mining Company, and Prodigy Gold. Well, I'm really pleased to have with me today, for the first time, Doug Weed. Doug Weed is a New York Times best-selling author and an advisor to two American presidents. In 2012, he took a sabbatical from writing to serving as a senior advisor to the Ron Paul presidential campaign. Doug is the author of more than 30 books and co-author of a book with President George Herbert Walker Bush. His books are known for their primary sources. He has interviewed six presidents and first ladies, 19 of the president's children, and 12 presidential siblings. Doug served as a special assistant to the president of the Bush Senior White House. He is a co-founder of Mercy Corps, Corps uh, which, is, uh, which has distributed more than $2 billion worth of food and medicine around the world. Doug is researching and writing the final book in the trilogy, Sibling Rivalry, the Brothers and Sisters of the Presidents. As part of this trilogy, he previously wrote All the President's Children. That was in 2003, and that was an instant New York Times bestseller. And he also wrote The The Raising of the President in 2005. Welcome, Doug, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Hey, thank you, Jay. That's a privilege to be with you. It's really good to have you. Um, I've uh, enjoyed watching you. Uh, defend Ron Paul in the media, a media that's not always been very friendly, to say the least, uh, to uh, our libertarian friend. Um, so I've known Ron for quite a few years, um, and since he ran for president four years ago, and even more so this time around, I'd say, I sense that he is very pleased in a way with the progress that he's made in educating Americans about some of the major issues of the Constitution uh, the violation of the Constitution, as he sees it, at least. And I know he would have liked to win uh, to become the nominee. Uh, but do you sense a level of satisfaction with his progress in educating the public? I think so. He's got to be. <laughs> I mean, you, you see those numbers that uh, just four years ago, only 74% of the country knew what the Federal Reserve was. Now 80% want to have it audited. And it looks like it's headed now to passage in the Congress, and we know that its final version is going to hide plenty of things. We understand that, but still, you can't, uh, you can't uh, just sneeze at that 80% figure. That's a, that's a very good sign. Would have there been anybody else in Congress that could have done this or would have even had the inclination to do it, to, to raise the public's awareness of the Federal Reserve? 
I don't think anybody could have done it uh, like Ron Paul did it. Uh, I don't think there's anybody in his uh, that comes close to him that's in his category. I, I mean, it's not like there are good guys and bad guys. There are people in Congress who take bribes and they take the lobbyists' money and go on the junkets and then those who don't. There's only one who doesn't, and that's Ron Paul. And I suppose if you and I were running for Congress, we'd have ended up getting swept up by all of that. I have friends who are former congressmen who explain to me how it happened, but Ron Paul was this, uh, was eccentric in his honesty and in his purity. It offended him, made him angry that the monetary system was being manipulated, and it's a combination of integrity and smarts and a stubbornness to do mm. what's right. Mm. Indeed, uh, which reminds me of a conversation I had with Rand Paul at the swearing-in ceremony uh, uh, at the beginning of this congressional, uh, of this current Congress. Uh, I said to Rand, I told him, your legacy will be whether or not you can be as pure as your father. And I think it was uh, Senator McConnell who walked over at that moment, and I didn't get a chance to follow up and see what his response was. But when I told Ron that, Ron and his sort of customary um, chuckle See, yeah, and I'll bet he didn't want to hear that. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, that's but, a, Jay. You're in. You're a legend. That's that story's <laughs> a famous little story in the Liberty Movement. But yeah. you know, I'm a big fan of Rand Paul. I know there's some people who felt he was too quick to endorse Romney, but I don't know of anybody in the U.S. Senate who's come close to, to the stands he's taken for Liberty <laughs> and against the TSA, and it must be driving the good old boys club crazy. uh, uh, I'm proud of him, and uh, I think he's the best senator we've got. Well, so I guess the question would be uh, if he wants, I mean, this is what the politicians always face, though. It's this this choice of compromise to survive, and the, the rationale always is, well, but I'll be better than the other guy, so I'll give in a little bit here. Or there, and uh, and and so, you, unlike Ron, his father, you end up uh, compromising and watering down the message. Uh, but certainly, uh, he probably is from uh, from a free market perspective, a libertarian, a, congr- a, a constitutional perspective, the best senator we have. Uh, do you was this necessary? Do you think for his betterment within or for his um, progress within the Republican Party to endorse Romney? I don't know, but I, uh, uh, I, I know that he's the best I've seen in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Senate, and uh, and so I, I root for him, and and uh, you know everybody compromises. Uh, it, it it sounds like a dirty word, even theologically. You know, the uh, Saint Paul wrote, uh, uh, "I'm all things to all people, so that mm-hmm. I may win some to Christ," mm-hmm. and. Um, there were people who were very, very angry at Ron Paul because he decided to run for president as a Republican instead of as a Libertarian. And the fact is, I never would have heard about any of this if he hadn't run as a Republican. So that seemed like a compromise to some people. And everyone who's listening, every member of the constitutionalist uh, wing of the Republican Party or every Libertarian or every person who's part of the Liberty Movement can be accused of compromising one area or another area. Uh, you know, I think of the Native Americans. Native Americans, they were true libertarians. <laughs> and they saw these uh, these Puritans and these English come through. The, the Indians, for example, didn't spank their children. They were That was total, uh, that was uh, absurd to them to beat their child. And, and But they lacked so much discipline that they were wiped out. It was Crazy Horse who finally convinced them to take orders and form units and they could stand up and finally fight because everyone was totally independent on their own and Mm -hmm. it has hurt the liberty movement that we haven't been able to cooperate with each other and work as a unit have the discipline to work together and occasionally trust each other in a political campaign that it works to our disadvantage well i guess with respect to ron paul basically you can say that he then might have compromised on the manner of getting his message through and and the means to the end. But he didn't compromise on what he believed, one iota, and that is the Constitution, right? 
Well, yeah. I mean, that's the whole point. He's about he's as more consistent. He's so consistent that he's eccentric. He's he's considered an oddity in Washington. Uh, but uh, I guess the point I'm making is there's some I've learned in this liberty movement that if nothing's good enough, it wouldn't matter what he said or did or what anybody said or did. There'd yeah. be some difference. They'd have some nuance, and that would be everything to them, and uh, any deviation would they would blast. If there's enough of us that can work together and, uh, and determine what the goals are and fight for those goals, uh, we can uh, break this oligarchy that is destroying our country. Well, an oligarchy is a good way of putting it. Well, it seems to me that uh, the proof is in the pudding, and Ron has been very, very successful, as you suggested. I mean, one of the things that I sensed was that this is a man that is far more popular among the people than the media is allowing him to appear to be. And uh, would you agree with that? Well, totally. And it's the... The, the, the media's own numbers are an indictment against them because again and again throughout the last two years, their own polling data would show 9, 10% felt that he was electable, and yet the very same people in the same poll would be asked, who do you favor? And he would beat everybody but Romney uh, against Obama. And in many polls, he would beat uh, Romney uh, mm-hmm. when matched against Obama and beat Obama occasionally in those polls. So uh, their own numbers uh, are an indictment to the methods they used, which uh, was not to report uh, the reality that he was very much electable and that the people liked him. He was very popular among the young. How do you account for that as opposed to, say, older people, middle-aged people and older people? Well, uh, I spoke with a lot of those young people through the campaign, and most of them, for most of them, it was a a fear of loss of the American dream that mm. that that there are people who are gaming the system, and it was a disillusionment that the American free enterprise system is compromised, that they cannot. There's a ceiling; uh, they can't, their dreams can't come true. There's limits to what they can achieve. And it's because the system's gained against them, and they see these billionaire bankers getting zero percent interest loans while they're paying off their student loan, and uh, they see these insider companies uh, getting tax dollars in addition to money directly from the Federal Reserve piggy bank, plus controlling their industry uh, with uh, big donations to the politicians and picking their people to serve on the regulatory boards that regulate them. They see all of this, and it's corrupt. And it is also, by the way, the reason why Hispanics were so so much in favor of Dr. Paul. Uh, I was puzzled by that, Mm. and I interviewed some of the Hispanics who supported Dr. Paul, and it was the same thing. They said, hey, I, I came, my family and I, we came from El Salvador. We had corruption in El Salvador. We get here and we find out, huh? You gotta be kidding me. <laughs> we thought this was the land of opportunity. So it's a very similar, uh, thread, which is a feeling that the Constitution of the United States has been compromised. There are insiders who have always gamed the system, but now they've gotten greedy and they've stripped the middle class bare and there's there's nothing left for people. There's poor or rich, and that's it. Yeah, well, this is a story that is becoming more and more common, unfortunately, what you just said about uh, those folks from Latin America. But we had, as a guest on this show a couple of weeks ago, uh, Professor University of Chicago Professor Luigi Zingales, who left Italy because of paternalism and, and fascism, if you want to call it that, an unpolite word, but I think it's a true word. Uh, and he came to America because he could rise through the university system here uh, on the basis of his merits more than he could in Italy. And now he's written a book uh, called uh, a Capitalism for the People in which he is complaining that the very things he went to escape from in Italy he sees creeping in here. So I think it's it's a theme that's all too, all too prevalent uh, for those of us who really understand uh, what we've had in the past and, and how precious it has been. 
I want to ask you about a blog, an article uh, in your blog, on your on your latest article on your blog. I think it's the latest one. It was on July 3rd. Uh, another media lie. And, and perhaps before we start talking about it, you could tell our listeners what that blog address is so they those who would like can follow your work. Well, it's just uh, if they just Google Doug Weed, it's uh, Doug Weed, the blog. Okay. And so, uh, by the way, Jay, I should say uh, Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, uh, mm-hmm. I'll be live on uh, Doug Weed Facebook. If they just go to Doug Weed uh, uh, Public Figure Facebook, I'll be on there live and I'll be answering questions. And it's not like I have all the answers. I very humbly uh, assume this role as moderator, but some of our guests, some of you listening to us right now may have the answers, and we'll entertain your thoughts and your ideas and have an open discussion uh, online at 9 p.m. Thursday. Excellent. Well, thanks for passing that on. By the way, for those of you who might not be staring at your screen and uh, Doug Weed's Biography. Uh, his last name is spelled Weed, W-E-A-D. Correct? Do I have that? I'm a horrible speller, yeah, but I hope confirm. Okay. Good. Yeah, that's All right. right. Yeah. Excellent. Okay. Well, on your uh, July third blog, you wrote, and I quote: uh, the blog, uh, the article was titled "Another Media Lie." You wrote, and I quote: Throughout this presidential election cycle, the national media has been the subject of widespread ridicule for systematically ignoring the Ron Paul candidacy. Well, they have finally found their legs. They have a story that their corporate executives will let them publish. End of quote. Uh, before I ask you about that uh, media, uh, uh, about that story, the media is happy to tell uh, about Ron Paul. Do you think that widespread ridicule of the media for handling Ron Paul was justified? And if so, that is criticism or ridicule of the media is justified for the mishandling of Ron Paul? And, and uh, can you give some examples of how they how they didn't give him a fair chance to win the Republican nomination. Well, they didn't report the the polls when he was leading them. They didn't uh, give him time in the debates. Uh, That CBS debate in one hour, they gave him 89 seconds. Hmm. That's um, uh, And uh, the NBC poll where they actually gave their moderator almost as much time as they gave Ron Paul, a presidential candidate, I mean, it, it was uh, absurd. And when the whole nation laughs, when a, when a comedian can joke about it, and the whole nation knows what he's talking about, mm-hmm. and spontaneously erupt into laughter, it's pretty clear that we all know what the news media is doing. And I hate to be monolithic about it, but there's about 50 people that run television in our country. And... Uh, they pretty much dictate what gets on, what doesn't get on, and they love their little piggy bank, the Federal Reserve. So they and their advertisers and their holding companies, they get money directly and indirectly through the banks from the Federal Reserve, are certainly not going to give time. Uh, they tried attacking him, which didn't work, got him more attention, and mm-hmm. then they just went back to ignoring him. Occasionally they were so... They were so upset, uh, they didn't know which way to go, but uh, they finally just ignored him. Hmm. Well, uh, so this article, talk talk to us about this article. They're calling him a hypocrite. What is this article about, another media lie that you wrote? What what are they uh, criticizing Ron for? Well, I was referring to that uh, morning uh, discussion on on MSNBC where, where, uh, and they weren't uh, being (laughs) mean, but they brought up the point. They asked him if he took Social Security, a Social Security check. He said yes. So some just uh, took off on that and railed. Well, he speaks against the Social Security system and thinks that young people ought to be able to opt out of it, but he takes his own check. And, of course, what's uh, ridiculous about that argument is that it's his money. <laughs> that was the whole promise of the Social Security system was... Uh, Give us this money, and we'll protect it for you, and we'll give it back when you're old because you're too stupid to be able to have a retirement program for yourself, and we don't want you to be a burden on government. So we're just going to make you, we're going to force you to put money into this Social Security account. He didn't have an option. Now, ministers who who are public, uh, who are conscientious objectors to it, can opt out at the beginning 
of the Social Security program, but nobody else can. And Dr. Paul would have been thrown into jail for tax evasion if he said, no, I don't want to participate in Social Security. So it was his money. It doesn't belong to Barack Obama. It's not the uh, Security uh, uh, the Social Security Administration's money. And on top of that, they had promised to keep it, as you know, in a separate uh, account, and they didn't. They they used it to fund wars and used it to fund social programs to help presidents get reelected. So, of course, he should take his own Social Security. There's nothing hypocritical about him taking back his own money. That's what he believes, that it shouldn't be given to government in the first place. So it was kind of a, an absurd argument that was made, but it's typical of the media to play to the ignorance of masses and try to make him look bad. So there was no choice. Uh, Ron could not have done otherwise. Uh, but he does have a choice on some other issues. For example, congressional pension plan. He, uh, I think you mentioned that same blog. He's the only congressman who rejects the congressional pension plan, refusing to take a dime because he knows the public can't get such a break themselves. So, I mean, that's, that's pretty right. unusual. That, take that's Social that's, Security. That's, yeah. Yeah, because everybody have, takes Social Security. Yeah. 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 So he, it's just a, just an incredibly, uh, incredibly unique man. Uh, another thing about Ron Paul, he, you know, I don't know how many times after the Lehman Brothers collapse, I heard people in the financial media say, uh, you know, that, uh, that, that nobody could have seen this collapse coming. You know, CNBC, Bloomberg and the like, and they had all these PhD economists who couldn't see it coming. But Ron Paul saw it coming, and a lot of Austrian economists, most Austrian economists that I that I know, saw it coming. Uh, why doesn't the media give him some credit? Uh, in fact, he was urging policy changes that could have avoided it. So again, why does the media not give Ron Paul uh, uh, some respect for for getting it right? Yeah. Uh, because of what we've been talking about earlier, because the media is uh, owned by a few companies uh, that benefit directly and indirectly from the Federal Reserve. And Ron Paul would like to make the actions of the Federal Reserve transparent. He believes that when they meet and they decide they're going to create new money now, we should know, as the American people should know, how much new money is created and to whom it's given. And uh, that partial audit we got of 2008 was astounding. It showed $16 trillion was created in new money by the Federal Reserve and loaned out. Some of it went to companies like McDonald's got several hundred million and General Electric got several hundred million. And most of it went to banks of the members of the board of the Federal Reserve. They gave them that money, 0% interest loans, which they had supposedly to create jobs. Well, they give those loans out to the companies that own the television networks as preferred customers and to the companies that advertise on those networks. So that's why it has been almost impossible for Ron Paul uh, to do what he's done. But somehow he's gotten the message out. Part of it's the Internet, which Dr. Paul is fiercely, and Rand Paul, fiercely defending. Uh, we lose that, we're going to be in real trouble. Big trouble, yeah, no doubt about it. Well, as a, a historian, because you are a historian of American politics, who do you think will win the next election? I think Mitt Romney will win. Uh, I, I, my personal feeling, you know I'm a big Ron Paul fan, my personal feeling is it's just, the whole thing's absurd. It's like uh, we're a train headed towards a canyon and the bridge is out and we're going 95 miles an hour and some people are just hysterical and they're saying, we got to get Obama off this. He can't be the engineer. He's going too fast. We need to get Mitt Romney in there. He'll only go 75 miles an hour. We've got to slow this train down. And, of course, I think it's just ridiculous whether we go 95 or 75. We're still headed for the canyon. And I want Ron Paul to win, but uh, you asked me who I thought. I think that Romney's going to win. So we'll slow down the the locomotive, the locomotive a little bit and, and, and buy a little bit more time, perhaps. Um, not much. As, uh, not, not too much, I'm afraid. I'm afraid you're right, Doug. Uh, so do you think it's possible that Obama could pull an October surprise? Oh, yeah. 
yeah, if if you know if if Barack Obama really wanted to change America, which is why another reason why we got so many young people, he wouldn't have appointed Timothy Geithner as the Secretary of Treasury, exactly. the Chairman of the Federal Reserve, to the Secretary of the Treasury. So, yeah, it shows that he's very calculated, and of course, we could invade Syria. Anything could happen. No question about it. Well, this has uh, been the pattern, hasn't it, through past presidential elections many times? Uh, aspirin factories get bombed, or what have you. Uh, well, you're Doug. You're a very prolific writer, as we mentioned. You've written thirty some books. For goodness' sakes, is there a chance that you might write a book on Ron Paul sometime or on his campaign? I would love to, yeah. And if 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 Dr. Paul gave the nod and gave the okay, I would love to do that sometime. Well, that would certainly be one to look forward to, uh, certainly for my audience. And uh, if you do that, we'll certainly want to have you have you back to talk about it. And also, uh, perhaps have you back when you finish your next book. It ought to be very interesting, the one on on the uh, the siblings of uh, of presidents, right? That's right, sibling rivalry. Wonderful. <laughs> Well, thank you, uh, Doug. We are out of time. Thank you so much for coming on. It's been a, a real pleasure talking with you. And thank you for your good work on behalf of, uh, of Ron Paul and, more importantly, on behalf of Liberty. Folks, uh, don't go away. We're going to be right back. Uh, we're going to have Michael McKay is going to return uh, to pick up where he left off before the last break. Don't go away. I'll be right back with Michael McKay. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Eurasian Minerals is a prospect generation exploration and royalty company focused on the discovery of gold and copper. The company currently has over 140 properties on four continents. Our joint venture partners have committed to spend over $15 million on Eurasian Minerals projects in 2012. The company maintains a tight share structure a low cash burn rate, and holds $43 million in cash, creating value through discovery, growth, and royalties. Eurasian Minerals. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. Stock prices plunging, home prices receding, and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Um, I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have returning with me now uh, Michael McKay. We didn't get a chance to discuss all the issues uh, that I wanted to discuss with Michael. The main thing uh, is the world I want to address is the world is what it is. We would all like to make it better. We'd like to see a return to liberty uh, and freedom and free markets. but in the meantime, what do we do? How do we help ourselves? Uh, how can we uh, how can we plan our futures given the realities of what we're what the world is today? So, uh, well, let me just throw that question out to you then, Michael. What do you have to say about that? Well, I think people have to take a, a defensive posture uh, because uh, we are in uncharted waters with a worldwide fiat money reality and. Um, uh, on the other hand, uh, most of my uh, free market and uh, Austrian economic uh, friends uh, believe that uh, this is going to crash uh, fairly immediately, and certainly it could. 
but I'm of the belief that uh, uh, it could possibly uh, extend for quite a long time, as in decades. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think you have to position yourself accordingly. And that means, going back to a comment I made earlier, your number one asset is your job. Mm-hmm. You know, make yourself more uh, valuable to your employer if you're an employee or to your customer if you own a business. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, as I like to point out, uh, cash flow is king, not mm-hmm. cash is king. Cash mm-hmm. flow is king. So uh, that is my number one recommendation for, for people. Yeah, that's an interesting comment you make. Um, cash is king and cash flow is King Kong, I was told. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, uh, somebody that works for one of our sponsors told me that, and their, their little oil and gas company is doing very nicely. And so uh, she, she said, uh, she gave me that line, and I thought that was really funny. That's uh, it. Cash flow is King Kong, cash is king. And uh, a lot of little junior mining companies that I follow have some cash, but they don't have the cash flow yet. Right. Uh, well, moving on to gold has had quite a run, you know, from 200 and some dollars in 2003 to where it is uh, now at fifteen, sixteen hundred dollars had hit up to $1,900. I like to say, from my perspective, it's not so much the uh, the nominal price of gold, but the real price of gold. And I've seen the real, I've seen gold rise relative to uh, the Rogers Raw Materials Fund is what I measured against from 17%. An ounce of gold would have purchased 17% before Lehman Brothers crashed, and it rose to 44% by March of 2009. Uh-huh. It fell back a bit with uh, QE1 and QE2 and the con artistry of our policymakers making people believe things were being fixed. But then with the uh, with the European crisis, it rose, the Greek crisis, it rose to 40, 40, back up to 45, hit 49 recently, and now back a bit. But the point is that the markets seem to be voting in favor of what markets have always voted for when they were free, and that is a, a substantive, uh, an asset-based money, be it gold or silver or something, that has tangible value. So where do you see, do you see gold continuing to pick up? Do you see uh, fiat money, money continuing to be debased and lose its, its value and the confidence that people have in it over a period of time? Uh, do you see this trend to continue, and um, and if so, do you see the possibility of gold making its way back into the monetary system, whether the policymakers like it or not? Well, gold is making its way back into the monetary system. It's just not the way that most people uh, think it is and most people would like it. I mean, most of us who are for gold as being tied to money for exchange purposes for ourselves uh, would like that, but central bankers who are, you know, tied to fiat money, they have a completely different uh, approach. And um, so what's been happening lately is really very interesting. Uh, I see reality crashing in on central bankers, but I see this next this move that they've recently done with the BIS and Basel III, as well as this recent uh, joint press release from the Fed, FDIC, and the Office of the Comptroller of, of the Currency as being uh, on capital requirements for banks as being um, a, uh, a way to kick the can down the road a long time. Mm-hmm. And so here's, here's the uh, general outline of, of, of that for people who are unfamiliar with this. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Bank of International Settlements, the BIS in Basel, Switzerland, is the central bank of all central banks. And over the course of the last uh, 30 years or so, they've had a number of what they called accords. They've had two so far, and the third one's coming out as of January 1. The significant new um, thing that's proposed that I believe is baked in the cake is that gold will be actually recategorized as a Tier 1 asset up from a Tier 3 asset. What that means is that for banks' purposes, there is actually a, uh, a, a shift in holding gold, whether they should or not. Tier 3 is a 50% haircut. In other words, any Tier 3, tier three asset is, uh, deduct, uh, is reduced by 50% of its quote-unquote value for the asset uh, structure. Mm-hmm. Uh, tier 1s are marked to market, are what they are actually um, uh, supposed to be uh, what they are at, at this particular time. Mm-hmm. And uh, right now, cash and government securities are considered Tier 1, and gold is now 
uh, listed as number two behind cash as a tier one uh, asset uh, by them. But much, much, much more significant than the, the Basel III Accord is this FDIC, Fed, OCC um, uh, de- development in the last couple of weeks because what they decided, what they announced is that uh, for capital structures, uh, uh, banks would actually uh, uh, categorize gold as what they call a zero-risk asset. Hmm. Now, let me give you this progression of events. Mm-hmm. Back in October 2009, most people weren't aware that the commodity, uh, uh, that the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, the CME, reclassified gold as a collateral for futures trading, mm-hmm. the same as cash and treasuries, mm-hmm. for cross-margining purposes. Then J.P. Morgan did the same thing out of their London office in May of 2010. Mm-hmm. The, uh, in May of 2011, the European Parliament's Economic and Monetary Affairs Committee approved gold to be used as a collateral for European financial institutions. Mm-hmm. This is a progression. Now, it's important to keep these – I view these as making gold a zero-risk asset or a collateral asset mm-hmm. is – a most important development in how central bankers are attempting to keep fiat money alive. Mm-hmm. You know, in other words, these moves do not tie the dollar or any currency to gold. It does not make gold a medium of exchange. Mm-hmm. This only makes gold as money, quote unquote, to banks and traders. Right. Okay? And so, since the public is so ignorant about money and banking, I believe that most people confuse or actually merge together money and banking to be basically the same thing. Mm-hmm. Here's my thinking. By linking banking with gold, what they're doing is shoring up confidence in the banking system mm-hmm. and, therefore, and therefore in money. And this is a win for central bankers. Mm-hmm. Let me put it a different way. I think this is very ironic, but in a free market, we would have confidence first in the money and then in the banks who hold right. Right. But in a fiat money world, it is exactly the opposite. Mm-hmm. If the banks are working, we're okay with using the fiat money. Mm-hmm. And so the bankers must improve their image of trustworthiness of banks. Mm-hmm. And this zero-risk asset move, I, I believe, is hoped by banks to do exactly that. Mm-hmm. And since fiat money is only based in confidence, then the bankers are going to get what they want. Right. That's, uh, that's, that's very unfortunate because what it will allow them to do then is continue to use uh, to violate property rights, if I understand what you're saying, in essence. Well, yeah, I, but I think there's a couple of uh, points here. A banker, uh, I, I floated this information by a couple of bankers that I have high regard for, uh, one of which is Doug French, uh, mm-hmm. who now works for Laissez-Faire Books. Mm-hmm. And, uh, by the way, we have some excellent shows on Radio Free Market interviewing him. With Doug. And, oh, by the way, on ethics, on the ethics side, we mm-hmm. have some excellent shows that we've done with Jeff Tucker, who's also over at uh, Lisa Fair Books. Mm-hmm. Um, but my friend Martin Sibilo, who works up in Toronto as a banker, um, he and I have had some interaction uh, with this particular um, uh, point. And he made, a, I think, a very, very important point. By putting gold on an equal footing with U.S. sovereign debt, means that when the repudiation of U.S. Treasuries finally starts and, mm-hmm. these, they, and they get downgraded, market players are going to be forced to switch to gold in order to face margin calls. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, gold spot price will rise parabolically. Mm-hmm. So I think that the bankers know that they're in a corner, and what they keep trying to do is just create a little bit more space in the corner. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is designed to do that. Uh, by the way, the FDIC Fed OCC statement went out for comment to the bankers. Mm-hmm. Uh, they gave him a deadline of September 7th. This is not widely understood in the in the general public or mm-hmm. in the press. It's been mm-hmm. meagerly uh, reported by just a couple of sources. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, but I do think that if it gets out and people start to uh, think that gold is going to in any way be recategorized or be accepted more as money, mm-hmm. that is going to have a positive push on its quote unquote price. Mm-hmm. But this this also brings up a lot of questions. I mean, what are the bankers going to price it at? Are they going to price it at forty two dollars? I don't mm-hmm. think so. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, another uh, bank consultant friend of mine, who's also a co-host at Radio Free Market, Patrick Barron, 
who's got a wonderful blog spot, uh, Patrick Barron, uh, B-A-R-R-O-N, uh, and a frequent contributor to Mises Daily. Uh, he actually uh, sent me the information I was not aware of that um, some time ago the Swiss National Bank actually uh, uh, has its gold that it is holding they actually price it according to current market price. Mm-hmm. And if they hadn't have done that, mm-hmm. the Swiss National Bank would be insolvent. Now, Interesting. That was very fascinating. When he sent me that data, that was eye-popping. Oh, that's really interesting. You know, it's interesting. It seems to me what you're talking about, uh, uh, Michael, uh, is a return to something similar to what we had the Bretton Woods before Nixon uh, took us off the gold standard. Is that fair to say? Something similar to that? It's not, because uh, there would not be pricing in gold. There would not be a unit of account in gold to trade. There would not be any settlement in gold, either locally or internationally. Mm -hmm. And there would not be any need for gold contracts. Because, you know, and this goes to our earlier conversation that we had off off air, where uh, I believe that the, uh, as far as money is concerned, the the number one thing that people need to understand that needs to happen is for legal tender laws to either be relaxed or you know obviously uh, eliminated would be the the goal but relaxing of legal tender laws is a very important thing well if, and, just just take a second to explain to our listeners uh, what legal tender laws are because they many may not even understand the term oh okay uh, legal tender laws basically uh, are a government that demands that this particular money be used as money, and usually uh, it could be exclusively or primarily, but it's usually related to the concept of contracts. Mm-hmm. Now, even in the United States, as we talked earlier, uh, the fiat money is not absolutely the, uh, legal tender. You can go to a, a beer garden or a casino and get, you know, Chips or mm-hmm. or chips, you know, chips or whatever, or coupons and so on. Those are money substitutes, but they're so minor and meager they they don't free, freely flow through the economy, mm-hmm. and so they're they're not really uh, what we're talking about. But if if somebody would like to, uh, for example, create a silver coin or a gold coin uh, or uh, money uh, that is. Uh, trading in gold credits, well, we all know that story. Government set it down. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, they they shut that down. Mm-hmm. And so uh, they can't let the public think about gold as money in terms of trading. Um, on the other hand, if they start to allow legal tender laws to relax even a little bit, that'll get people starting to think in terms of uh, competing kinds of money. Mm-hmm. Even in today's Wall Street Journal, this is July 9th that we're we're talking here. Mm-hmm. There's a uh, a story about the price of uh, plastic going up. Merchants may get to surcharge uh, uh, credit uh, credit card mm-hmm. charges, which mm-hmm. currently Visa, Mastercard prohibits. Well, you know, imagine that. Geez, you know, you can start to think. Well, maybe I should use cash. Mm-hmm. Maybe I should use this other other form. I'll, sure. That's a that is a teeny example of a relaxation of this kind of thinking. Mm-hmm. But um, as I like to point out, in a free market where there is a free competition of money, then there is a reversal of Gresham's law because good money will drive bad money out of circulation. Mm-hmm. Reality economics will pre- prevail, mm-hmm. and ultimately it will. It's just a question of when. No, that's. That's for sure. It seems to be uh, obviously forcing the bankers' hands to uh, to accept gold in one form or another, and of course they're going to hang on to their privilege of creating money out of nothing to the extent they're able to do that, and as long as they can because they can rearrange, uh, reallocate wealth in their favor. It's uh, it's pernicious. It's, it's horrible. I think people need to understand uh, what is really going on, and I want to really thank you for coming on our show. We're, unfortunately, we're out of time. You have so much... To say, I'm sure we're going to have to have you back sometime again, but we are unfortunately out of time. Uh, to let people know, though, again, where they can follow your work, and and also, uh, can people avail themselves to your uh, to your company's uh, uh, services? Well, RadioFreeMarket.com is uh, the website that we um, uh, that I operate, and uh, as I say, we are in the process of uh, uh, revamping that. So. 
please everyone be a little patient with it <laughs> uh, because uh, it is our volunteer activity. Uh, my my personal uh, company is uh, closed to new investors, mm -hmm. and so uh, uh, that is uh, that, that's really not that's fine on that. Okay, not an option. All right. Well, but thank you again for coming on, and, and uh, I'm sure we'll have you back again. You did mention a lot of other good websites for people to go to if they're really caring about this subject, and everybody should. If they understood the importance of it, if they really understood what was going on, there would be an outrage in the country beyond belief. And I think little by little, uh, we do our part to educate. Certainly, Ron Paul has been very, very influential in helping people understand, and he would do what you suggested, and that would be uh, to allow gold to compete with fiat money, and uh, let's have competition back into the marketplace. seems right. to me that's what is being taken away from us is competition, and most people don't understand how competition benefits uh, society in, uh, in general. Uh, it, always, it always benefits the consumer. It benefits consumers, and uh, that's exactly right. Well, thank you very much for being with us. Uh, folks, don't go away. I'll have a few closing thoughts on today's show. I'll be right back. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Eurasian Minerals is a prospect generation exploration and royalty company focused on the discovery of gold and copper. The company currently has over 140 properties on four continents. Our joint venture partners have committed to spend over $15 million on Eurasian Minerals projects in 2012. The company maintains a tight share structure, a low cash burn rate, and holds $43 million in cash, creating value through discovery, growth, and royalties. Eurasian Minerals. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. I'm here for a few closing thoughts on today's show and also uh, to let you know who's coming uh, to be with us next week on the show. Well, uh, I really enjoyed the discussion with uh, Michael, uh, Michael McKay, for sure, uh, concerning the, um, the whole issue of money and the possibilities, uh, not only possibilities, the likelihood that we are heading towards another gold standard of some kind um, the the vision that Michael has is uh, certainly not uh, the optimal vision. In fact, it may be even used by the ruling elite to prolong the uh, the Ponzi scheme, or let's say the uh, the legalized allocation reallocation of wealth or theft scheme that the ruling elite is using to rip off the people that create the wealth. That is the miners, the manufacturers, the inventors, the farmers, people that actually produce things that are of value to society are not getting their fair share. It is being taken away from them by uh, the government, by government, ever-increasing uh, bureaucracy of government, and by the large banking interest. Of course, it is that unholy alliance between the government that makes the laws that ensures bankers, they, keep, they get to keep their profits and they don't have to worry about competition any longer. Well, this is the antithesis of capitalism, folks, so don't let anybody tell you that this is proof that capitalism doesn't work. That is the biggest bunch of baloney that you'll ever hear, although it's something I'm sure that you have all heard it said. You see, capitalism doesn't work. Look what's going on. So therefore, we need more government. No. The reason we have the problems to begin with is because of a gradual and growing intervention in the economy to take away the competition in the workplace so that those that are privileged and have contact with government uh, profit at the expense of everyone else. That is really what's going on. And so uh, Michael McKay's concern and his belief is, and I'm sorry to say I think he's, he could very well be right, is that rather than having a gold uh, back into our monetary system to provide uh, a liberation of the current enslavement system, that it could be used to prolong and to keep confidence in the financial system, in the fiat money system, fiat 
money system that is forced on us uh, through for really through force of law uh, to be used rather than a free market choice to use gold as money. Um, and that is, uh, of course, we're hoping that Michael has it wrong and that perhaps the views of, of some other people like Louis Lehrman, Ron Paul, more, more idealistic view of gold being used back into a monetary system that would allow and foster free market competition as opposed to uh, just another con game. As a matter of fact, when we use the word con, I should pass along a remark that Michael McKay sent to me uh, this after we uh, we did a pre-recording and uh, and so he said you know Jay uh, how it comes to you later that you wish you would have said something well yesterday after our taping it came to me that I should have said central bankers require two cons confidence and control to perpetuate the fraud of fiat money so that indeed is what uh, is going on right now and uh, tell your friends and and uh, by the way I had a, a principal of a high school ask me last week. If there was one book I should have the, my seniors in high school read before they graduate, what would it be? And I said, without hesitation, read The Creature from Jekyll Island, J-E-K-Y-L-L, Jekyll Island. Our very first guest on the show back in March of 2009 was G. Edward Griffin. He was the, um, he's the author of that, of that excellent book, which I think will open your eyes, if they're not already open, your friend's eyes to what is really going on, who owns the system, and why is our policies what they are? Why is it that Ron Paul is not allowed to be heard by the public? Why is it that the powers that be uh, shut him down as much as possible and keep him from uh, being from the public really knowing Ron Paul? Well, anyway, those are questions that we talk about on a regular basis. We are out of time, unfortunately, for this week. Uh, I do want to tell you that coming next week, we're going to have Rick Rule is going to be with us again. So, and as well as uh, Bill Lagner. Bill uh, is with a very successful hedge fund, and Rick Rule is a legendary investor. Uh, both of these gentlemen should have some very practical ideas about how you can prepare uh, yourselves for the difficulties ahead, and um, you know how you can how you can make the best of the world that we're in, the world that we are in now. We like to talk to people like Ron Paul and Michael McKay and others about how we might be able to improve things. But at the same time, we need to face reality. The world is what it is, and we need to do the best we can to protect ourselves and our family. Well, I want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. And I do want to thank my senior executive producer, Tacey Trump, uh, and Justin Jackman, my crackerjack engineer, for making the show uh, logistically viable. Thanks to each of you. Until next week, goodbye, and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Are you looking for a junior gold company that will give you upside exposure to major gold discovery potential, cash flow, and is located in a secure jurisdiction? Goldrich offers you a unique opportunity and controls almost the entire historic Chandelar Mining District, located in the prolific Ambler Schist Belt in Alaska. The company is applying modern